Please open your Bible tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. This morning we read the first 25 verses. Tonight we're going to pick it up at verse 26, and we'll read through verse 38. Beginning in verse 26 and reading through verse 38 as we continue Luke's Gospel. As Luke is pursuing our certainty in the faith. Luke chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 26. Let's give our attention to God's Word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As we noted this morning, and uh, if you look at the first part of uh, the uh, chapter 1, if you're just here tonight, you'll notice that uh, Luke has set out to write a gospel uh, for the affirming of the faith of his friend Theophilus. And, And we are all Theophilus in the sense that we've heard many things about Jesus. Most of us know the stories well. And yet it is true for every one of us that we, need, we can uh, always be growing in the certainty, the conviction, the absolute confidence of faith. I think we uh, fail to understand what an incredible blessing great faith is. If you think of uh, people in your life who seem to have unusual, as Christians, unusual um, influence, unusual power, unusual peace unusual joy, you will find there someone of great faith. Underneath the peace, underneath the joy, underneath the influence uh, is an abiding confidence in God, an absolute conviction that God is good, a complete, unshakable confidence that God will do what is good, that He knows what He is about, that He's willing and able to help no matter what the circumstance. It is faith Jesus says, that is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is what gives us uh, the joy that provides strength for Christian living. Faith is what gives us the confidence to speak into people's lives. We're not with all the answers. We don't have all the answers. But with a, the, uh, a message of a God who does and a God who cares, a God who's able to help, a God who's more than willing to help us and to help our hurting friends in their trouble, 
And the evidence of, of that is in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is faith uh, that, we, that we need. That kind of deep, convicted, joyful confidence in God. And Luke writes because he wants us to have this. And, and he's set up the stories in a way that drives us to greater confidence and faith. As we, as we see two people respond, uh, receive very similar messages and respond in different sorts of ways. There's both great similarities and great uh, contrast in the stories of uh, verses 1 through 25 and then 26 through 38. The similarities are pretty... Uh, Obvious on the face of it, you have the same angel appearing, the angel Gabriel. You have a similar message. He comes to each, to Zechariah and to Mary, with the, uh, the announcement of a pregnancy, a coming birth. A baby boy is going to be born to each. Uh, both children are named by Gabriel. Uh, their missions are explained by Gabriel. And both pregnancies will happen to women uh, unnaturally, in other words, to women who could not conceive via natural means, Elizabeth, because she's barren and old, and Mary, because she's a virgin. There's a great deal of similarity. But the beauty of the text, I think, is, uh, and of this story that we have tonight, is found in the contrasts, the things that are really quite different. The, 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 the great differences highlight the beautiful ways of God as He works in ways we would not have imagined, but in ways that bless, in ways that, that encourage, in ways that create faith. Once again, we find in, in our text, Gabriel, the angel who stands in the presence of God, is sent um, to deliver a message. But the incongruity of this occurrence in comparison with that of Zechariah uh, could hardly be greater. Let's just begin tonight by looking at the contrast. It's a contrast, first, of place. Where did the angel appear to Zechariah? Well, Zechariah was in Jerusalem, God's holy city. Not only that, Zechariah was in the temple, God's holy place. Not only that, Zechariah was in the holy place of God's holy house. Zechariah was in the most appropriate place uh, imaginable to be visited by an angel of God. If, if God was going to come to earth, um, our, our sort of religious instincts tell us that, that would be a, that's a great place for it to happen. It's an appropriate place for it to happen. But here, we're told that the angel Gabriel is sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And it's hard for us really to grasp the incongruity of this in, in direct proportion to the likelihood of an angel showing up in the holy place is the severe improbability of an angel showing up in Nazareth. Uh, when Philip, remember, uh, was told that uh, his brother says, I, th we, I think we found the Messiah is from Nazareth. And when Philip says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? He wasn't being uh, snide. He wasn't trying to be cute. He was shocked. He was, he was sincere. Did, did you say Nazareth? It's like saying, uh, you know, door. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> You're making this up. Did you just say Nazareth? That, that's exactly the sense of it, right? For, when I grew up as a kid, it was Conklin. No, not Conklin. Nothing, nothing comes from Conklin. So that's what's going on. Um, 
Nazareth is as far removed socially, politically, spiritually, economically. It's, it's on the other side of the world in a sense, spiritually speaking, from Jerusalem. It's separated from Jerusalem by this abyss called Samaria. It's way, way in, in nowhere land. It's off in, in, on the side byways of the, of the world. Nobody goes to Nazareth. They don't just even pass through. It's, it's noteworthy only because of its utter irrelevance. In other words, it's a perfect place for God to do His greatest work. Because this is the God, as Mary's going to sing, who scatters the proud and raises the weak. The God of the great reversals. And He has found the perfect place to begin His renewal of all things. So we have a great contrast in place and a great contrast in persons. Uh, The angel Gabriel in the first 25 verses appears to Zechariah, a priest. A priest who was performing the very most important priestly act that, he, that, that could be done, except for the high priest, but lay pouring incense on the altar of incense. It's very appropriate. Well, in our text, in verse 26, 27, the angel is sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Riken writes this, It is doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person to, to greet anywhere in Israel. If you're going to look for unlikely people to greet, Mary qualifies. Uh, utterly unremarkable in the eyes of the world of that day. She's a Jew. That already disqualifies her from significance. She's a part of the lower working class. She's a woman, so part of the the, the, um, ignored gender, in a sense. And a very young woman at that. Uh, Commentators are almost universally agreed. She's probably around 13, maybe 14. That was the common age for young girls to be betrothed, to be married. So there's there's, a sweet kid, but nothing significant about Mary in the eyes of the world. There's nothing to suggest that she was unnaturally beautiful or unusually smart, that she was in any way any different from any other of the young girls that she grew up with in the little town of Nazareth. And there's also a great difference of ramifications, a great contrast here. Remember when Zachariah and Elizabeth received the news they're going to have a baby, uh, there is great joy. Uh, Their shame, Elizabeth says, my shame has been removed. It is, it is an exalting, it's an honoring for Zachariah and Elizabeth to have a baby. That's not what it's going to be for Mary. Mary is entering into shame. There's going to be all sorts of questions that she can't answer. There's going to be all sorts of accusations. This is going to be a great uh, blow to her family. It's going to be a great blow to Joseph. She is embracing shame, taking on shame. As she takes on this role. But in those contrasts, we see the beauty of God's ways. The point of of this story is to highlight the grace of God and the greatness of the Savior. Notice the grace here. The angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then again, a few verses on it says, You are highly favored. The Lord has highly favored you. Now, unfortunately, there's a great deal of misunderstanding about this uh, greeting. Many have assumed that there was something, therefore, special about Mary. Maybe uh, she had done something or was peculiarly, uh, particularly pious. 
so that she was uh, without sin, some have even said. But that, that Mary is, is highly favored because there's something about here. But, but the word here that's translated highly favored comes from the word for grace. It literally would read um, that greeting to you who are highly graced. It's, it's the, the emphasis is God is lavishing unmerited kindness upon you. He's just dumping lavish, abounding, unmerited love and favor and goodness all over you. See, God chose Mary not because she's special. It, it utterly turns the whole story on its head. He chose her precisely because she wasn't special. She was a nobody in the world. The weak, the despised, the lowly, and all of it, you see, then, to the praise of His grace. It's exactly the theme of the gospel. Paul will say to his, his readers in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Do you remember what you were when you were called? Not many of you were wise by the world's standards. You weren't powerful. You weren't of noble birth. God chose the weak things and the despised things. Look at us. I mean, who are we? People aren't going to write books about us. People don't know don't know your name. Maybe you Google your. Have you ever done that? Google your name just see. If, does anybody know I'm here? <laughs> I do that, and, and and it always comes up. Dale Van Dyke over in Pompton Plains. The other Dale Van Dyke, man. <clears throat> He's a pastor too. Went to Westminster Seminary. It's crazy. Um, we don't matter. Come on, honestly, we live our our lives in the eyes of the world. Utterly insignificant. So why would God choose you? Because God delights to magnify His grace. He delights to magnify His, His, His just dispensation, His, His, His character, His manner of loving the unlovable and, and the insignificant and the unworthy and lavishing honor and glory and grace upon you. He delights to do that. Because it's his character. You see, God delights in confounding our uh, sort of assumed merit system. We live in the world and we, we sort of accept that in this world you have to make your way. You've got you to pay your way. You've got to earn your way. And many people try to do the Christian life like that. And never quite figure out where the joy is and where's the peace. Because they're trying so hard to, to be a good Christian, to be worthy, and, and to live up to the standards well, you're living in the wrong economy. That's an economy of debt. It's an economy of merit. The gospel invites you into an economy of grace where everything is gift. Everything. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved, and just poured over your head by the grace and kindness of God. I don't know if you saw the uh, little video clip I saw just maybe a week or so ago about this Lowell police officer. Maybe you've seen that where this Lowell police officer is pulling over people and um, they decide just to bless people. So they pull people over and this guy goes to the window and, and um, starts talking to them and asks them if they got their Christmas shopping done and finds out from them what they were hoping to get for Christmas, what they kind of been looking for, what they need, what they hope for. And, and then uh, he's got a live wire. He's got a couple guys in different stores who immediately run, grab that thing, wrap it and and somehow get that to him while he's still at the traffic stop. And then, he, so he's, he's back in his car, and then he comes to the car with whatever it is. And people are taking, you know, one guy was saying, you know, my kid really wants an Xbox 360, but there's no way we can afford that this year. And, and uh, the police officer goes to the car, and he comes back and hands this guy a pack, it's an Xbox 360. 
blows the guy's mind. Flat screen TVs. I and mean, people are getting out of their cars and hugging the police officer. Just blessing them. Just, just pure, lavish, ridiculous grace. Here they did something wrong, and they did something wrong. They got pulled over for some violation. In fact, at the end of the video clip, the Lowell Police Department added something like, this does not mean that we um, you know, are promoting minor traffic violations. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> Always the police officer. Um, they just want to make sure that this is not our normal way of doing things. Friends, this is the normal way of God doing things. You violate the law all the time. And God pulls you over and he lovingly pours blessing upon you, showers grace upon you, undeserved uh, every single time. Well, God wants us in the story of Mary to see the grace, the grace, the loving, abounding grace of God. And he wants us to see the greatness of Jesus. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be a child, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Notice the angel says that he will be great. Similar to the announcement to Zechariah where John, he said, your son is going to be great before the Lord. Here he just says, your son will be great. Riken again points out that in the Old Testament, when the word is used without qualification, it's almost always a reference to God. So God is great, His steadfast love is great, Psalm 57.10. His power is great, Psalm 66.3. His name is great, Psalm 76.1. Psalm 74 says, may those who love your salvation say, God is great. God is great, the definition of the word. And so when the angel says to Mary, he will be great, he's not just saying he's going to be a swell kid or he's going to be a very powerful person. He's saying this, the greatness of deity belongs to him. He will be son of the most high God, the son of God. He will reign on Jacob's throne. He will lead an everlasting kingdom. It will never end. Mary is going to have a baby who is God in human flesh. That's astounding. Hopefully we'll look forward to unveiling that a bit more next week. Now Mary has a question. Imagine how unbelievable all this is. She was just having a normal day. Do you understand that? Mary, whatever she was doing, she had no uh, intent that morning when she got out of bed and stepped out of the house, no intention of meeting an angel and receiving this message. And now suddenly here he is and there the message is and she is just faced with it, having to deal with it. And she understands clearly that she's going to have this baby prior to and apart from uh, her being married to Joseph. And so she asked this very natural question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now that is not a question of unbelief as Zachariah's question had been. Zachariah said, how can I know this will be because I'm old and advanced in years and my wife is old and advanced in years. He's basically a challenging Gabriel uh, in the truthfulness of what Gabriel had said, that's not what Mary is doing. Zachariah's response was unbelief. Uh, this isn't unbelief. It's, it's, it's confusion. It's curiosity. It's trying to put pieces together. Her heart is already in verse 38. May it be unto me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. Her heart is already there. 
She's already accepted all that he is saying, even though she doesn't understand how it's going to work out and the, and the, and the ramifications of it are maybe just beginning to, to become clear to her. But she believes the message. And this is a question that she asks in faith. How can I be a mother when I've never been with a man? And to that faith, you see, to Zechariah's question of doubt, the angel answers with a rebuke. To this question of faith, the, the, the uh, angel answers with an answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the, the vast void of the world before it existed, right? Over the waters, the deep, and brought out of nothing everything that we see. So that same Holy Spirit is going to hover over the womb of Mary and create life there. It's not going to be a natural born child. It's not going to be born of a husband's decision or of human will. It's going to be born of God. And to give her assurance, he gives her a sign. See, God is willing to give signs to faith. He's not willing to give signs to unbelief. Zachariah, in a sense, was asking for a sign. Give me some evidence. And the evidence was you're not going to talk for nine months. But she's not asking for a sign. She's just questioning. But to her faith, Gabriel gives a sign in evidence of God's ability to do the impossible. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was barren is in her sixth month. Notice it says, she who was said to be barren. Right? You're not barren until God says you're barren. Everyone else thought she was barren. Everyone else thought she was dead. But God determines what's ultimately real. She who is said to be barren is in her sixth month because nothing is impossible with God. That's good news. Nothing is impossible with God. We need to apply that to our life. Sometimes it seems like our salvation is impossible, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem that we're just too messed up? We're too broken? We're too stuck in our ways? We're, we're too stubborn? Too rebellious? Or maybe there's just circumstances in our life that seem just too impossible. The forces that are lined against us are too powerful. Or the pattern that's been established, is just, it's just not, not going to change. I love, what, again, what Riken says here. He says, our God is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin he can't forgive, no relationship he can't reconcile, no problem he can't resolve, no need he can't meet, no grief that he cannot comfort, no life he cannot reclaim, no sinner he cannot save to the uttermost. And to that truth, we have to respond in faith. And that's what Mary does. She responds in faith. She and faith isn't just believing it's true. Faith is putting herself in the way of, the, of that truth. Faith is submitting herself to the truth with all the ramifications, the things that she can't even figure out, the things that she doesn't know. She does not know how this is going to work out. She doesn't know what this is going to mean for her relationship with Joseph or her parents or her friends. She doesn't know any of that. But what she does know is that God has spoken and God is good. And she submits herself then to the will of the Lord. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She submitted her life, uh, herself, all the unknown details of her future into the sovereign, loving hands of her God. And friends... God calls every one of us to exactly the same things. There are things in our future that, uh, that will frighten us, things that we think might be in our future. 
losses to face, griefs to bear, uh, illnesses to be endured. There's, there's hard things. And we live so easily then fearing those things and trying to protect ourselves from the things, trying to guard ourselves, and, and that's not faith. God calls us to precisely this kind of faith. And so we say, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Wouldn't it be beautiful just to be, be freed by faith, to live with that sort of absolute confidence, day after day joy, day after day peace, day after day gratitude, thanksgiving to God, a sense that you're the, the luckiest, most blessed person in the whole world? You realize that faith allows us to do that, that we've been so blessed by God? And God helps us in that faith. Friends, tonight we have the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrament. It's God coming to us in an unexpected way. God coming with a sign, not for unbelief, but a sign for faith. And the sacrament, you see, is his messenger, very similar to the, the angel himself, carrying a message from God, just as Gabriel. It's not glamorous. To the eyes of the world, it's not impressive, but there's glory hidden in the ordinary here. As God showers grace upon us and has a message for us, it's a message of grace. It's a message that God is willing to come near to you and has come near to you in Jesus Christ. God has come to save you. God has come to show the beauty of of His love and the power of His grace to you, the sinner. That's the message of the table. All of this in Jesus Christ. The table says to you tonight that you are highly favored of God. That you've been called to incredible things as as God has caught you up into the great drama of redemption. Though you are not the mother of the Messiah, Jesus calls us the bride, his bride of the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? That we are the children of, of God, that we are heirs of everlasting life. That's what God wants us to see. That's what God wants us to hear in the sacrament. And in the face of that message, there can be questions. How can this be? Since we are so weak, our faith is so frail, we are so unexceptional as people, we're we're unexceptional as Christians. How could it be that that we would be the recipients of, of unimaginable things, incredible, unspeakable glory? How could it be? And the answer is the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ purchases all this, makes it possible. It is God doing the impossible. God making sinners righteous. God making rebels his own children. And to our faith, God gives a sign. Jesus, our Savior, gives us a sign in bread and in wine. So that tonight we can know with absolute certainty that God's love is for us, that God's great intentions, God's great agenda is for you, that you have been caught up into the glorious plan of God to make everything new. That's what the table speaks to us. And tonight God calls you then to believe the message and to believe the heart of God who gives you that message. So tonight I invite you to come to the table of the Lord in faith. Come to the table of the Lord as Mary came, saying, May it be to me as your servant has said, that whatever God has in store for us, we'll leave that in his hands. Trusting those are hands of love. Trusting those are hands of grace. And committing ourselves to follow him. If you are not a Christian tonight, I encourage you then to refrain from the table.
because you're not ready then to, to deal with Christ in this way. But you can be ready as you confess your sin. I, Jesus speaks to you, friend, if you are not a Christian. Jesus speaks to you and calls you to life in his name as you confess your sin and call out to him. If you want to know more about that, I invite you to come and talk with me. Or you can talk to just about anybody in this church. We'd love to help you and lead you to, to the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved by him. God has good things for us, friends, amazing things for us. Let's believe it's true. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you that you meet us tonight at your table. I thank you that Jesus Christ has a word for us in the bread and the wine. And so, Father, I pray that we would participate with faith, we would believe with joy, that we would, Lord God, be willing to submit all of our life to our loving Lord and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like to ask the elders to come forward. It is Jesus himself who gave us this supper. It seems so insignificant, doesn't it? A few trays and the little pieces of bread and wine. You look at this and you think, how could this have any real significance? Because Jesus Christ has given it real significance. You realize that Jesus is the one who invites us to this, his table. And Jesus eagerly desires to commune with us, his people, in the table of the Lord. And Jesus has a message for us, as as we've just heard tonight, about his love and his grace. Grace for sinners. Grace for people who are broken and people who can't put themselves back together. People who've blown it. And and, And people who believe and yet struggle with unbelief. Friends, if that's you tonight, Jesus invites you to his table. We do ask that you be a member, a professing member of a Bible believing church, since the table is is for the body of Christ. And we ask that you come under the lordship of Christ if you're going to come to his table. And, and if you're not then a, a member of a Bible-believing church, we just invite you to come and talk to us about that. Also, if, if you are living in unrepentant sin tonight, if you know there's an area in your life that you simply are refusing to let go, you're going to walk this way, you know it's sin, you know it's wrong, you're not willing to let it go, then don't come to the table tonight. Make this to be a time of prayer, that God would soften your heart, that God would show you what's at stake of your great need to confess. Pray that God would give you the blessed heart, the gift of repentance, the gift of sorrow for sin, that you could confess it and be set free by the power of God. Let that be then what God does in your heart tonight. But for all those who then come in faith, who come with repentant hearts, Jesus Christ invites you and he has a wonderful message of his love, his grace, his promises to you, invite you to believe. Let's ask for his blessing. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the table now. We ask, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, you know where we live. You know the things that concern us and confuse us, the things that we're afraid of. And Jesus, I pray that we could hear your goodness, your grace, your promise, your strength, your greatness in the cross, in the sacrifice you made, and in this table that you've given to us. May the bread and wine truly, Lord, nourish our faith as we receive in them the precious promise that in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven and we are brought into the great glorious drama of redemption. 
we are part of what God is making new. And new life is ours. So, Father, so bless your people as we receive tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Savior took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the bread is being distributed, we're going to sing together. At the Lamb's high feast, we sing praise to our victorious King. Let's think about our Savior as we come to the table. Remember the story that Jesus told about uh, 
the king who had a great banquet, and he, and he invited his friends to come. And when it was time for the banquet, his friend says, well, I can't come. I just got married. Another said, I just bought some land. I bought some cows. I've got to take care of things. And, and the master says, I told his servants, and go to the highways and the byways, and go to the beggars, go to the blind, go to the lame, and compel them to come in. God, um, in that, shows his great delight to show mercy to the undeserving. Uh, we are the blind and the lame, and the, we're the... Uh, we're the lost in and of ourselves, and yet by the grace of God, we have been compelled to come to the table, the banquet feast of the Lord. And here at the banquet feast, Jesus Christ intends to show to you and reveal to you again his intentions to rescue you forever, to save you forever, his intentions to shower his love and goodness and grace upon you. It's, it's, that's the message of the bread. When he said, do this in remembrance of me, it's not have fond remembrances of something that happened a long time ago. It is be convinced of all that the cross signifies and all that the cross accomplishes. And so as you eat, remember and believe Jesus Christ, your Savior, your King, your Lord, the one who's coming back, the one who loves you, the one who's going to walk with you every step of the way. Remember and believe. Jesus Christ, after the supper, also took the cup and he blessed it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. The grape juice is on the outer ring. The wine is on the inner ring. And we are going to continue and sing together here, O my Lord. I see thee face to face. This is real communion with Jesus.
Here's our refuge and our peace. In this, the love of God is made manifest, that he gave his only son in our place for our sin to make us the righteous, everlasting, eternal children of God. Now we live by faith. One day it will be by sight. And to our faith, God gives us his sign. Jesus gives us this wine, a testament to the blood shed, that the real blood to wash away real sin, to make you really forever God's child. Drink, remember, and believe. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are the God from whom all blessings flow. Who are we, Lord? Insignificant, mortal, sinful, fleeting creatures. That you should bestow upon us the glory of being the children of God, the bride of Christ, citizens of the new heaven and the new earth, bearing the, uh, bearing the name of Jesus himself, called to his purposes, called to be the testament of your glory and your grace. We are the displays of your kindness. Oh, Father, I thank you. Thank you, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for all that he accomplished. Thank you that nothing can separate us from him. Thank you that every day of our life now is a day in which you are working to complete that which you've begun a day in which we can trust you completely, no matter how confusing or difficult the circumstances. And a day, Lord, that every day we live is one day closer to our eternal glory, our reward, our Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus, we would see you face to face, but we thank you that tonight we can see you with the eyes of faith. We thank you, Jesus, that you are present here, that you've ministered to us here. May we go into this week every, uh, every day, Lord, resting and trusting in all that you are for us all that you have for us, all that you promised to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.